Hi, and welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we explore conversations about creativity, motherhood, the arts, and how they're all joined together. And in particular, how we pursue meaningful work alongside really investing in intentional family life. So if you are a mum in the arts or you're a mother who has been in the arts or simply a creative mother who's doing your creative thing alongside your motherhood, you are so welcome. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about outside in or inside out. So today you might be wondering what on earth this title is all about. Something I have always found really interesting about taking on a role is that when you're trying to figure out how your character thinks, how they feel, why they behave a particular way in a scene, your job as an actor is to find a way to make those words sound like they've just come into your head and out your mouth at that point in time. Otherwise, you can see the workings. And you know what? It's never great when you can see the workings on stage because it really destroys the moment and the momentum. So part of the rehearsal process is designed to help you go on that journey from reading the page and getting a feel for the character based on what you've read to somehow fully inhabiting that person night after night, every performance, and yet somehow remaining alive. Now, for those of you who don't know, something we do in theatre at any rate, and to some degree in film, but we do something called blocking, which is when you set the movement and so that on stage you can be lit and you can be seen and so that if there's a particular cue of music or a lighting cue or just anything that needs to accentuate or enhance what's going on on the stage or contribute to the overall full sensory experience because that is one thing I love about theatre is it's it's the fact you're physically present and therefore you are inhabiting the same space the same atmosphere And there's lots of things that we can do to enable you to have a a wonderful experience and hopefully take you on the journey of the story so that you understand what's going on, but also so that you go on the emotional journey with the characters and you get a, a, a physical experience too with the lighting or the sound cues or just the temperature or the smells. I once went to a fantastic production of a play called Vincent in Brixton and it was about the artist Vincent van Gogh. They put on stage or rather cooked off stage a roast lamb on every every show and the smell of roasted lamb if you're a vegetarian or a vegan I do apologize but for those of us who are meat eaters it was amazing to smell that roasting lamb coming off the stage and really contributing to the overall atmosphere. However, I'm not specifically going to be talking about the lights and the sounds and the multisensory aspect of theatre today. Just a small digression for those of you interested and my own personal memories. But um, what you do is you call blocking and it's, it's when you set the movement and the movement is there so that A, you know where you go and as one actor famously said, you just try to remember the lines in the right order without bumping into the furniture. Well, the blocking is something that is part of that. You usually figure that out in rehearsals. Now, in rehearsals, you can start, and every director works slightly differently, but the way I most enjoy working is when you have your script, and if you can have learned a little bit, that's really helpful, but it's not vital. You just need to figure it out and let it go in and work, do your homework throughout the rehearsal process. But after the read-through, you have the chance to put it on its feet. And it can be really difficult when you're trying to work out what do you think 
your characters feeling at that point in time? What are their thoughts? What's their intention? Where is their head going from one place to another? And what is the journey of that thought? And therefore, how does that make you respond physically? Now, you can choose to spend a bit of time working out that and as you speak it, you say the lines and you listen to one another and back and forth you go and then maybe you you sort of feel like you want to move towards each other and a lot of the time actors do a lot of kind of leaning forward and it's like when you want to move, you can feel that impetus in your body, that desire to move, but it you don't quite trust it yet because you're still figuring it out and it's a very vulnerable process, which is fine. So that's why you need a really good atmosphere of trust. And then once you try it, you move and you see where it takes you. And then quite often you go, oh, that works. And then a rehearsal or two later, you come back and maybe it's no longer working. So you scrap it or you go, yeah, no, that's working. That's working. It still works. And it still seems to ring true what you're doing with your body, where you're moving to on the stage, whether you're moving towards someone or away from someone or moving to sit down. And once you've decided that you're pretty sure you found what the truth of that scene is, you then block it and you go, okay, we'll call those the moves. Now, something might come up in rehearsals later that you realise is has given you new insight and so you need to change the moves because those moves no longer ring true. However, the deputy stage manager will have written them down and then that means they can work the cues around you. They can decide how they enhance what's happening in the scene. Some directors have an image in their head of how they want it to work and so they will set all the moves and you have to figure out as the actor a way to make that work and make that connect with what your character's thinking or feeling and that's not impossible but it's a lot harder because when you're starting inside out you start with the feeling the emotional life the thought the intention that tends to lead to bigger and bigger outward expression which ultimately leads to movement much like thinking leads to speaking, leads to more likely to do stuff in our general life. That's how we work as people. We think and then we speak a lot about what we're thinking and then we're more likely to do something, which is why our thought process is so important to be aware of. But it's always a chance that somebody set the moves thinking this makes sense and maybe makes sense for the image on stage. But that when you come back to look at it, it doesn't really ring true. And there can be a real disconnect for the actor to have to try and play something that's against that that fundamental intuition that as you're sitting and inhabiting this person and their experience through this journey of this play, you can find yourself feeling like you are connected and it's just not working. It doesn't sit right. And some directors are willing for you to move it. Occasionally you get someone who's like, no, I don't want to. But ultimately the job of everybody is to tell the story with the most eloquence and clarity and, you know, beauty, but that it's really honoring the story. Therefore, most people will allow you to change it and you eventually come to a place where you're sure. I have worked in occasions where somebody doesn't like you doing that, and there can be that tension, but you as the actor are the one who's standing on stage, and as a tutor of mine always used to say, you're the one who stands up and looks like a lemon. If the director sets something and you haven't figured out a way to either tell them no, or if you really can't, find a way to make it work for you, because the audience doesn't know about your conversations in the background. Now, the reason I'm sharing this is because I think this links hugely to motherhood. So often with our children, we can find ourselves doing something and we don't actually often consider whether it's inside out or outside in. I think interestingly with motherhood, there is so much to hear everywhere on the internet, on Instagram, on, and just all the places and what our mums did and what our generations think now. And so it goes on. You have so many voices in your head telling you this is what we're supposed to do. And culturally, we have an idea of what good motherhood looks like or good parenting. And it, very interestingly, that's often hugely different around the world, depending on what our culture is and how we value family and how we see family and its core 
purpose and all of that. And therefore, it can be really easy to just do what we've always assumed is what you do. Somebody says, you make your kid pack lunches, then you make your kid pack lunches. Oh, okay. A friend of mine recently put on Facebook a question because her daughter's starting school asking what kind of lunchbox would be the best choice for a kid her age to get. And completely understandably, it not really occurred to her that maybe she'd be getting school dinners. We're like, oh, right, good point. Because you just kind of go on an autopilot. Maybe you have thought about how you want a mother and the kind of mum you want to be. Not just a good mum, because I think most of us decide that, but the kind of way we want to approach this. And yet you don't stop to think whether insisting that your kids have a particular bedtime or making decisions around screen time or whether kids are allowed lots of chocolate, no chocolate, some sugar, no sugar, all these things. Sometimes we just assume this is the right thing and we don't stop to consider what is our core value, what are our core values at the heart of all of this. And so effectively what we do is we work outside in. We decide on the rules or the plans or the routines and we go, this is how I'm going to do it. And the kids kind of have to fit in. In this way, we're a little bit like a director who's decided from the outside how we want things to look. Now, as a mum myself and a mum of several children... I really understand that, you know, the desire to have a house that looks tidy at the end of the night, the idea that maybe your kids go to bed and you get some time with your husband or your spouse, you get the chance to sit and just rest and watch some television, the idea that you have children time and adult time. You know, this is really common in our culture and we sort of accept it and I really get that. But what I have found is that very often then you have a child and maybe your first child did all of this, but your next child is an entirely different kettle of fish. And suddenly your routine that you have set up doesn't work the same way. And for whatever reason, this child does not fit your idea of how this should go. Now, I have had this experience of my first three, so I often use it as an example. My eldest was kind of a textbook baby. She, you know, didn't exactly sleep through the night for like eight months or anything, but she was getting closer and we could put her in her cot and a bit of soothing. She'd be fine. She'd sleep in her cot quite early on and she was happy. My son, who came a little bit later, he took a bit more nudging, took a bit more working at to get him to go in his cot. But then he would also go down. He'd have a bedtime routine. This all worked too. And it was great. My third child came along and she was not having any of it. She wanted to be close to me from the beginning. Now, they all wanted to be close and I very much enjoyed that. But she did not want to ever get out of our bed. She still sleeps with us. This is not a problem, apart from sometimes when she's in an angular mood. But um, we did everything the same. My fourth, now that I've had him so much longer, who's technically my fifth, I've done it kind of quite differently again. Like, he doesn't have a bedtime. He goes to bed when he's tired and when we're tired, and that's kind of how it goes. And it's amazing how you change. But you see, we could have insisted. And in fact, I'm pretty sure we really tried for a bit to push this. But we were working to an outside-in model. And there was a disconnect between who they were and the thing we were trying to achieve. Now, there are good reasons why we wanted things done in a particular order. They seemed to make sense. They made things more convenient for us. But I have done some big thinking in the last few years, and that is, why have I had my children? Have I had them for my own personal convenience? Well, no, I want to love them and bless them. And and did they choose me? Well, no, I chose them. I mean, I didn't choose the individuals. You never know who you're going to get. But, you know, did I choose them? Yeah, I wanted their children. I wanted to have them. We wanted to have them. They didn't choose us, so surely... I need to listen to who they are and we find a way to work together. So in the same way that to get my characters moves right, I have to really be listening to what's going on in their head and their story and how can I make this story clear. I also really need to listen to my own children and who are they? What helps them to be more fully them, to be more fully able to inhabit 
the people they're growing into. And in the same way as a good director will allow you to do something, to go inside out and figure out what sits right, whilst also working with the overall picture, it always has to be about connection to the person. And when it isn't, we lose sight of something really important. Now, there are times in a rehearsal process when a director can see that you've got stuck. You know, you can get really stuck and you're like, I don't know where to move. I don't really know. I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm, I'm caught. And then actually having a director say to you, right, I tell you what, on that line, move down there, pick her up, swing her around, and then go off and kiss him. And you go, okay, I'll do that because it makes sense within whatever play you're in. You do that. You realize very quickly whether it's going to work because you do it, you commit to it, and you try. And often they've got a good eye for it if they're intuitive and they're paying attention and you're listening to each other. You do that and it's the thing that then triggers you to go, oh, I know what I'm doing, this is fine. You know, that's really helped, that's good. And then you block that move. But sometimes you do that move and you realize instantly it's wrong. But through the process of doing so, you realize what you should be doing instead. You go, no, that doesn't feel right, but the move did. So I'm going to try this far. I'm not going to swing her up and then I'm not going to kiss him, but I'm going to stand next to him. And so you try that. And then that goes, yeah, that works. But I think I should have kept the kiss, but left the swing. Okay, we'll do that. And you try it again. And it, each time it gets you closer to the heart of what you're trying to do. But where you got stuck and you couldn't move at all, you needed somebody to give you a nudge or a framework to hang your ideas on. In the same way, it can be really useful as a parent. I love a good timetable. I actually rarely use one, but I love a good timetable. And every so often when I feel like we've got into a drifty place and it's not working, I sit down and I shape out a sort of a framework for my days and try and figure out what things I want to put in, what things are already anchored in and what do I want to do in them? And then we work it or attempt to work it. And very quickly, I usually realize where all the holes are and then I go, that, okay, that doesn't work, but I'm a bit clearer on how I feel about it now. And so as mothers, I want to encourage you to consider the why you're doing what you're doing, because the thing you're doing is less important than the reason you're doing it. And if you are not really considering the why, you might find you get to a point having put everything on the outside in doing the things that you're convinced are right and often for very good reason but somewhere in that the person you have in front of you the child you're dealing with or the whole family feeling is disconnected and it's not working when we listen to one another and work it out and then go back to the drawing board and maybe start afresh and looking at the person you have in front of you and saying do you need something particular my elder daughter is currently sleeping at the foot of our bed in a bad dream bed because she's struggling with dreams. This won't last forever and it'll pass. But right now she needs that. So that means my bedroom is rather crowded, but it will change and it won't be like this forever. And you know what? She is more important than my external ideal. So I hope that helps you today. If you would like to connect with me, it would be so nice to hear from you, especially if you're listening to this and you're liking this. The best way to do that is to go to my website, which is all in the show notes, www.createperformandmother.com and sign up to join my email list. And you can write back to me and it's really cool. You can also support the podcast if you'd like to from as little as a pound a month or a one-off donation over on that site. Or if you go to my Buy Me A Coffee page, and I so appreciate any support that you give because it makes such a difference. All of the links are in the show notes, and I want to wish you every opportunity to make meaningful work this week alongside intentional family life and may it give you deeper connection and deeper joy. God bless.